You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. are so thankful to be a part of what God is doing in Honolulu, and it's been um, quite an adventure, but an adventure with Jesus is a good adventure, right, of him calling us to plant this church, and um, we're a month into this new community and us gathering as the church, and it's been so sweet to hear even the testimony so far of just the Lord ministering to uh, those of us that have been here just through his word or in our times of worship, and uh, we're just honored to and humbled to be caught up in this work of God that he's doing and uh, what he's doing in the city and on this island. So welcome. Good to be with you guys this morning and uh, excited to get into God's word. And so we're in the book of Mark. We're almost done with chapter one, but this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter one, verses 35 through 39. Mark 1, 35 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles on the tables when you came in. Feel free to go grab one of those and uh, use it. Or if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take it home. It's our gift to you. No problem. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. So if you don't have that translation, I have it up on PowerPoint um, for you. But uh, let's get into it. Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39 says this. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon, or Peter, and the others went to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. This is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the place in your word that you have us this morning. And we believe that nothing is out of coincidence, that you order all things, that everything is in your control, that you're sovereign over it. And so we believe that this is for us this morning. Every single one of us that came into this place, every unique situation, any unique trial or difficulty or place in life, whether we're single or married or have kids, that you're able to speak to us, that your word is relevant for us today. And God, would you give us understanding to what your word means and even, even more so what it means for us? God, would you equip us by your word? Would you train us? Would you, by your loving kindness, would you, even if, we, if need be, lead us to repentance this morning? We want to come in line with your word and your will this morning. As a people that are in need of a Savior, we, ask, and we come under the authority of Christ and your word and ask God that you would have your way with us. We corporately say that we need Jesus this morning. We need you. We want to hear from you. We desire to hear from the God of the universe, that he would, he would speak to us this morning through your word, which is God-breathed and God-inspired. And so, God, would you anoint our time? I pray that I would be your mouthpiece to communicate your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us, uh, you can kind of understand where we're picking up. But to give you a short recap, I'll kind of recap what's happened so far in the book of Mark. 
Mark is like a fast action movie. He doesn't um, write down or include all the details of what Jesus did. I mean, in the book of Mark, he leaves out the entirety of his first 30 years of existence, and we just get right into Jesus's public ministry. And so even starting in the first few verses of chapter one, uh, about a month ago now, we, we saw John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ on the Jordan River, baptizing people and, and proclaiming the good news and saying, hey, there's one to come that I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of. There's a greater one that'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus comes to the scene. John baptizes him. The father speaks from heaven, right? The, the dove descends and the father says, well done. This, I mean, excuse me. He says, uh, <clears throat> this is my son whom I'm well pleased. There was this whole scene that happened. And then Jesus came and he began proclaiming the good news. He began, began proclaiming the good news of the gospel after he spent a time of temptation in the wilderness, um, overcoming the temptations of the devil. But we've seen Jesus come in and he's cast out demons and he's preached with authority and the kingdom of God has come. It's come in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've seen just these dramatic stories and examples of Jesus being the son of God, the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. And he's come on scene and people from near and far are coming to see what all the hoopla is about. Who is this man, Jesus, that you've been talking about? A man that heals sickness and casts out demons and speaks with authority. And not everything in Mark, right, we have recorded. Not all the time it syncs up. Sometimes there's gaps in the text that we have to go to other gospels to figure out what happened. Uh, Mark being the shortest gospel, we don't have everything. But there's purpose in Mark's gospel. His purpose is to get us Jesus really quick. To give us an understanding of who Jesus is as the Messiah, the Son of God. And he, and he does it by sharing stories and, and, and telling of certain things that Jesus did that only the Messiah could do. Only the promised one could come and do. But our text this morning picks up right where we left off last week. And so if you were here last week, it was this dramatic scene of Jesus um, casting out this, de this demon from this demon-possessed man. He went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and heals her of sickness. And then the whole town came that night to his house and he was, sealing, excuse me, he was healing every sickness and every disease. And people were in awe. I mean, he was up late. People at the door, and Jesus was healing them one after another. So finally he gets to bed. And in verse 35 this morning, it starts the next morning. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. The next morning before daybreak, Jesus goes and prays. He goes to a place that's free of distractions, that's isolated, early, away from everything and everyone, right? Before anything happened that day, right after all of this wonderful, amazing uh, things had happened, he wakes up before day daybreak to go and be with his father. And he did this, he distanced himself enough to get away from this pressing crowd, right? The, the city of Capernaum, where they were in, Everyone was knocking on the door. Everyone was trying to be healed. Everyone was coming to find this man, Jesus. But he went to a solitary place by himself to pray. And even the, the language there in the original text indicates that Jesus' prayer or the timing wasn't just like a brief 
single prayer or like, hey, I'm just going to walk outside to that little hill and pray for a second and then come back to the house where I was staying. The language describes this prayer as something that even might, might have took hours. I mean, this was, this was a long time before everyone was, was, was waking up. He went to pray until Simon, Simon Peter, came with, with the group of everybody looking for Jesus. Um, but he went to pray. And the purpose was to focus on the Father, right? His purpose in going to pray was to connect and to commune with his heavenly Father. And that's what prayer is by nature. At the core of prayer, prayer is this open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. Like that's what prayer is at the core, is that we're recognizing that apart from God's strength, we're not able to even live or breathe. We can't do anything he asks. We can't fall in line with his word. We can't try to obey his word. We can't just try to walk as he would walk. We need to be, we're we're desperate for the Lord. And so prayer by nature is a way to connect and to commune with the Father, knowing that we're desperate and without him we can do nothing. And what prayer is, is, is a turning away from ourselves and a turning to God in confidence that he'll provide what we need. Like we're confident that God has the ability to answer our prayers or God can get us out of this situation or God's will is better than our own will. So we go to him in confidence. And what prayer by nature does is it humbles us. It reminds us that we're needy and it reminds us and it exalts God as being wealthy. It puts us in that place of need and desperation when we come to the Lord, we come to God in prayer. And so this is what Jesus is doing. He's going to the Father. He's, he's, he's getting away from the people and the stuff and the busyness of life, from the distractions, right? Look at the wordage there. It, he, before daybreak, before everything starts, because, right, we know how that is. When your day starts, it's just on. For some of us, um, it may be even a struggle that the first thing we do is just let's pick up our phones and check Instagram, Let's check Facebook. Like, I mean, even immediately, right? Because that's our alarm clock. And we use that for our alarm clock, our iPhone. Maybe some of us don't. But it's so easy that right when you wake, there's distractions. Right as you wake, there's things that want to not have you pray, right? And, and, and even like living in town or living on Oahu, it can be hard to like before daybreak to get to an isolated place where no one is. Right, that's like almost a joke if you live in town. You're like, are you serious? Like I live on top of these people and I'm here and like I have, there's like the second busiest traffic in the world. Like how the heck am I supposed to get away to an isolated place? And we may not be able to get to an isolated place, but are we waking or are we starting our day in the same way that Jesus did? Right, because we, 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 can, we can for sure make excuses. We're good at that. We're really good at why we didn't spend time with the Lord. We're really good at like, why we didn't have time to read our Bibles. I have responsibilities. I have young kids. I got to be at work at this time. I worked really late last night. Like, we're good at that. That's what we're really good at. We're good at making excuses. But even though being with God, praying is hard, it shouldn't be an excuse. I mean, think of Jesus. Think of the day he just had. I mean, do you see this? He's been walking around all day. He teaches in the synagogue. 
He casts out the demon. He goes to Peter's house. He heals the mother-in-law. I mean, this is a lot of action already. And then he goes back. He's in the house. And then it says that everyone in the town came to see him that night. And so you can only expect, like, I mean, late into the night, I mean, he's casting out demons and healing sickness. Not like a normal, really, thing happening. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are gathering. If there's any morning that you want to sleep in, this is the next morning. I'm tired. And, like, what is he sleeping on, even? Right? Like, what is he eating? Like, what, are the situ- what is the situation? It wasn't Jesus' house. It was Peter's house. He's maybe sleeping on the floor? I mean, probably didn't get a good night's sleep. Right? There's so many things that Jesus could have said, but what he did was he, before daybreak, got up, went to an isolated place away from these people and spent a prolonged time with his father. I mean, if there's any day that Jesus, being God, would have just woke up late and just like ordered his disciples to get him some coffee. Like, go get me some strong coffee somewhere, or some tea or whatever you got. Bring it to me because I'm tired. It would have been that morning, but no, that's not what we see. And what we see actually is the disciples later on, right? They slept in, or they're still at the house. They ain't praying. They, they're, they're, they're searching for Jesus. Like, where did he go? Like, where is he? And even like by the question they ask when, he, when Peter finds him, you see it's, it's telling of what Peter thought about prayer, right? So... <clears throat> Verse 36 of our text this morning. Later, Simon, or Peter, and the others went out to find him. And and, and in the original language, this is like a search party. I mean, like, this is not like he's up the street. Like, where is Jesus? We're looking for him. Like, we don't know. We're looking for him. And then verse 37, when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And and the question, uh, in other words, you could say that they said, where have you been? Like, what have you been doing? There's crowds that are gathered to see you. Like, people have come from all around Galilee and the surrounding regions to come be healed, Jesus. Like, they're waiting for you. What are you doing? Right? Even even by nature of the question, he's almost giving Jesus like a small rebuke. Like, why are you out in the wilderness? We got work to do. What are you doing praying? Right, even the disciples that were closest to Jesus were, were missing the significance of Jesus spending that time with his father, communing with his father. But Jesus often does this. I mean, this is, this is his habit. Like a habit of the son of God is to come away from the people, to withdraw himself, and to, and to go away and pray to his father. One commentator, J.C. Ryle, um, kind of summed it up with this quote. He says, we will find the same thing, speaking of Jesus going to pray, often recorded of our Lord in the gospel story. When he was baptized, we are told that he was praying. When he was transfigured, we are told that he was praying. The appearance of his face changed. Before he chose the 12 apostles, we are told that he spent the night praying to God, Luke 6. When everyone was speaking well of him and wanted to make him king, we are told that he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, Matthew 14. When tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, sit here while I pray. 
In short, our Lord always prayed and he did not give up. Sinless as he was, he sets us an example of diligent communion with his Father. His divine nature did not make him independent of the use of human methods. His very perfection was a perfection kept through the exercise of prayer. See, the reason that Jesus needed to pray wasn't that he was weak, weak excuse me, rather because he was strong. See, the source of, source of his strengths was relationship with his father. He needed to commune with his heavenly father. He needed to be near and speak to him in order to continue on ministering and pouring out with his life and ministry. In order to know the father's will, like that was that tension in the garden of Gethsemane on the eve before the cross. Three times Jesus prayed to the father, not my will, but your will be done. See, in that situation, Jesus was encountering and discovering the will of God. He was coming under the authority of God the Father, and he said, despite what I have to do, knowing that the cross was going to lead to his death and the pain that it would ensue, he said, not my will, but your will be done. That time of prayer, he discovered the will of God leading to obedience in the Father's will. And so Jesus is our example to look to. I mean, he is the person to be reminded that if there's anybody that was busy, it was Jesus. If there's anyone that wanted his attention, he was Jesus. I mean, if there was Instagram and Facebook, there would have been like an endless slew of notifications when he woke up. I mean, it was as if he was like the rock or something, right? Most Instagram followers of all time, the rock, Dwayne Johnson. You're like, what, really? Yes. <laughs> I don't know, this is true. I mean, his notifications must be unbelievable if he has them on, which he shouldn't have them on. But I mean, if there's anyone that was busy and that had important things to do, right? Because these are, I got important things to do. I don't have time with Jesus. Like, that's what we say. It would have been Jesus. It's his example of how he sought the Father. How he valued communion with his heavenly father above all else. And so we have to ask our own selves. We have to align, we have to look at our life compared to the word of God this morning, right? That's what we should do. We should look at Jesus' life and how he prioritized prayer. And we should look at our own life and ask some, some of the hard questions. Do we do the same? Do we prioritize our time with Jesus above all else? And I know it's maybe a, a simple question, but it may be the hardest thing to do sometimes. Because you're like, no, it's, it totally is important to be with Jesus. Yeah, read my Bible, pray, like spend time with the Lord. But if we were honest with ourselves and we look back to even this past week, right, with jobs, responsibilities, kids, families, stuff, paying bills, you got endless stuff to do. How, how was that? Do, how is our view of prayer? How is our prayer life? Are, are we the type of people that, 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 that say, hey, before I can do anything, I need to go be with my father? Or in order to even get through this day, I need to spend time with Jesus. Is, is that our mentality? Is that an attitude? Or are we maybe more like the disciples, more like Peter being like, dude, it's too busy. There's too many more important things. What are you doing? Like wasting hours in the morning praying. That's, what, that's pretty much what he's saying. Prayer is a way in which we abide in Christ. 
It's a way in which we stay close to him and near to him. It's a way in which we commune with our heavenly father. And, and Jesus spoke about this in detail to his disciples, trying to teach them this idea of abiding. And, and prayer is, is one of the greatest ways that we can abide with Christ. John 15, verses 1 through 8. I have it on the screen here. Jesus is, is describing his father and himself and, 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 and us as his disciples, how we ought to interact with the father and with the son. Jesus speaking, John 15, verse 1 says, I am the true grapevine. He's giving this analogy here. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they will receive even more or produce even more. Verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Speaking of prayer. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings me great joy. This brings great joy to the Father. So our abiding in Christ like the means by abiding or the practical way in which we abide with Christ in the same way that he's speaking about here is prayer. Prayer is the way that we remain in Christ or abide in Christ. It's the way in which we stay connected, that our lives bear fruit, it says. And at the end, it says that abiding in Christ brings the Father great joy. In other words, when we seek God in prayer, when we come before our God asking and listening and requesting and crying out and beseeching all the words that scripture describes prayer as, the Father receives great joy and we continue to abide in Christ. And we, so we need to ask ourselves, is like, do we see prayer in that way? Or do we just literally think it's like, Prayer is, uh, we have a wish list. We have a bunch of these things that we need to do. We keep it on our phone or we write it down like, here's my prayer request for the day and we pray those things and we're done. Or do we see prayer as this larger thing that allows us to commune with our creator? I mean, do we see prayer as our lifeline and our connection to God? And I know for me, this week while I was studying, I was convicted. I was convicted uh, to foster this more, because I think it is so easy to, like, in an ethereal way, know what prayer is, know why I should do it, know why I should spend time with the Lord, and then we start justifying how much time we need with the Lord to be okay. Like, I spent time yesterday, so today I'm good. Or, like, last week was a really good week because I spent a lot of time with Him, maybe it carries over, right? We start, we start playing that game. We're good at that also, excuses and justifications, and I'm not saying that it is required by Scripture that every single morning before daybreak, you go to an isolated place and pray. I am not saying that. It doesn't say that. This is an example. This is an illustration 
this should point us to the heart of what do we think of prayer? How do we prioritize prayer? And for me, having an 18-month-old that's teething, that doesn't sleep well, and a four-and-a-half-year-old that is just very curious about the world and excited and both wake up early, both, you know, uh, and, you know, being a parent, having a job, like, by the time you go to bed, you're really tired. You wake up tired, tired. That's like, when people ask when you have young kids, like, how are you? Usually your response, if you were truth, would be like, I'm tired. I am, I am tired. I'm exhausted. Uh, and maybe that just stays, like, forever. Maybe it's like a thing as you grow older. Maybe it's just like, that's, that's part of life. Now I'm tired. Um, but for me, I have to be creative with my time because I'll be honest, it's rare that I'm like setting my alarm and actually like waking up to my alarm before the whole house is awake. Because this is, this is in the fives, maybe the fours. I mean like 4.35, 5.30, this is early hours. I mean, for some of you, you're like, that's not early. It's like, that's early for me, um, especially when I'm tired. And it's hard to before daybreak, like wake up and be on it and spend time with the Lord um, just by nature. And so for me, it's my drive. It's my commute. That's like my time with Jesus. I have to have it. I actually, uh, my wife and I, we live in Kaneohe, but come to town every day. And that's, that's honestly like been the, the hugest blessing where like, no, I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm not going to listen to a podcast. I'm not going to make a call. I'm, this is my time to pray and be with Jesus. It's the hugest blessing, even in traffic. You're like, hey, okay, I can receive this. I got more time to pray right now. Right? When the poly hits the H1, I'm like, okay, I got more time to pray. But for me, I have to be creative because waking early in our house is tough. It doesn't work all the time. And for you, it may look entirely different. You may have obstacles and things that, that keep you from it. But I think the larger question is, or, or the larger idea is, right, right, we prioritize what we care about. We'll make time for things that are important for us. Like, that, that's, that's true of anything. If a hobby or a a family member or your job, like if things are important to you, you'll make time for them. And so I think our text is challenging us this morning is to reprioritize, to rethink, to re-understand what prayer is and make time for it. And I understand that for some of us, prayer may be daunting and confusing and you don't really know how to pray. You don't know what you should pray about. You don't know what to say. I mean, obviously this comes out when you're praying out loud in front of a group, and I know that takes some time. And I know prayer can be uncomfortable or maybe something that you're not used to. And I will say that prayer takes time. Like, it takes practice. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll be. But we need to understand that, that at the heart of prayer, it's communication with God, and God does not care about the words that you use or what you say to him. He can take it. And if you read the book of Psalms, you'll see David and so many others crying out to God in prayer. And it is not pretty. So many times it's David or others expressing raw emotion. I mean, just really pouring out their hearts, how they're, they're angry at God, how they're hurt by God, how they're lost, how they're, how they're, they're did I lose the limit? <clears throat> I can yell. That's easy. I can do it. <clears throat> but prayer is so much more than just asking God a list of things. 
Prayer is speaking with God. It's listening to God. It's lamenting to God. It's expressing your emotions to God. It's being still before God. It's just listening. Or it's crying out, or it's beseeching, or it's interceding. It's so many things, but at the heart of it, it's just communicating with your heavenly Father. And so, to help you, those of you that are just like, what do you pray about? You just share what's on your heart. Like, tell God how you're feeling. Tell him what you're hurt about or struggling with. Like, he knows anyway. He knows how you're doing. He, he's, your, he's your heavenly father that's all knowing. He's your good shepherd and he cares about you. And what you say, it's not going to like change his heart towards you. He wants to hear from us in order to meet our needs, in order to minister to us, in order to speak to us. He wants to hear from us. And God's not concerned about the specific words we use. He's just concerned about hearing from his children. And this is an exhaustive message on prayer by any means. But I think the truth for us this morning is that there is nothing that is more vital than prayer in Christian existence. And few things, though, are more vulnerable to neglect. I mean, if we read scripture, if we dive into it, if we look at Jesus, I mean, Even Jesus himself overturned the tables in the temple and he said, my house should be called a house of prayer, right? It's core to the existence of us as Christians. But as we've talked about this morning, it is so easily neglected. So what happens, going back to our text, Jesus responds to Peter's question and the other's questions about, like, what have you been doing or where have you been? Verse 38, Jesus replied to them after he's prayed. He said, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. What we're going to see here is that Jesus' private prayer actually prepared him to preach. That time with the Father prepared him to to go out and preach the good news. And and the, the kingdom of God was being ushered in, right? So many people were being healed and the domain of darkness, right? Demons and all the powers of darkness were being overcome by this man, Jesus. He was preaching with authority. And the kingdom of God was coming in Capernaum and in that region, but there was still work to do. The kingdom of God needed to be ushered in to the rest of the cities around them. And Jesus here, he says, this is the reason why I came. The reason why I came was to preach the good news. And that's what he did. He left the glory which he shared with his father from all eternity to do the work of an evangelist. And that's what we'll see in, de- in detail excuse me, throughout the study of Mark. We see Jesus preaching in synagogues. We see him preaching from boats. We see him preaching on mountainsides. We see him preaching in houses. Like this is what Jesus did. He came to declare and proclaim the good news of the gospel to a fallen world. And we see examples of this. We'll see throughout Mark. But Luke another one of the Gospels, gives us an example of Jesus doing this very thing right after this happens. Like Luke gives a little bit more detail of something that happens right after our text this morning. And so right after Jesus left to preach, like he just said, in Luke's Gospel, it records that he went to Nazareth, which is about 20 miles or so away, 
And we get a description of why Jesus, or excuse me, what Jesus came to do. It's more of expounding upon what Mark says. Let me read you Luke 4, 14 through 20 to give a little bit more understanding of what Jesus is talking about. In this story, we see, it says in verse 14, Luke 4, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all, right? We know that so far. And he came to Nazareth, which is his hometown, where he had been brought up, and, he, and, he was, and this was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, written about 800 years earlier. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and, I, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed at him. The significance of that is that's a prophecy from 800 years before de describing what the Messiah, the Son of God, or what Jesus would do, and Jesus is now doing those things. And so when the disciples come, hey, what have you been doing? Well, I'm coming to preach the good news as was promised to you. And all these healings and these casting out of demons and all these miracles were all things to show or point to the truth of the gospel, right? They were amazing, right? It's amazing when someone that can't walk can walk now or someone that's blind can see now. I mean, these are miraculous things that happened. But the reason why Jesus would do this was to point to the power and authority of God the Father. See, those things were showing the power and authority and divine nature, his deity of who he was. But again, those were just signs of the, of the deeper issue that was going on. See, Jesus, what he came to do was redeem hearts and save sinners like you and I, to rescue humanity from the bondage of sin. Right? And he did so by proclaiming the good news. Jesus came to reconcile a broken relationship. The relationship was between humanity and God, right? Sin entered the world, broke that relationship. Jesus came to restore this broken relationship between us and our heavenly father. Do you see what I'm getting at? Jesus came to die on the cross to save us so that we could be communed or reunited with our father. Communion, prayer, I mean, the intention of Christ's preaching was so that the end result would be communion with us with the Father, so that we could enter into prayer with our God once again, with a restored relationship. We were redeemed and set free and restored. Now we, stand in the now we can stand in the presence of God before God, asking God things with confidence, knowing that he will answer the things of which we ask. So what we see in Jesus is that he went away to the Father in order to preach the good news so that we could then pray with the Father. Do you see that? I'm going to end with this quote by Andrew Murray, and 
this should be our prayer as a church and a people. It says, oh, let the place of secret prayer become to me the most beloved spot on earth. Because he understood prayer just wasn't a list of things to ask God. Prayer was a way in which to be with God, to be restored back to that communion with his heavenly father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that even though you are a holy, righteous, perfect God, the creator of the universe, that you sent your son to restore our relationship so that we could not only speak with you again, but be with you again. And not only in this life, for all of eternity. And so, Lord, would you help us to have a greater view of prayer in our life. Even though we may not be experts at it, so to speak, or, or always do it, or feel comfortable with it, I pray, Lord, that we would, you would change our hearts to be a people that understand that we are in desperate need of our God. And that prayer would become an essential, not an addition, but an essential to our lives. And so help us, God, be disciplined and maybe cut out things or listen to the alarm when it wakes us up or whatever it is, Lord. Give us the strength to be with you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Teach us how to pray. Teach us what it means to pray. Thank you for your example, Jesus, of going away and being with the Father. We pray, Lord, that we would take this to heart, that you, would, that you would minister to us now, even as we sing these few more songs and we, and we spend some time just reflecting and responding to the way in which you spoke to us today. We pray that you would maybe just give us some insight, give us some wisdom and discernment, maybe things we need to change or things we need to do in order to foster a relationship of prayer with you, a time of communion with you, of being near to you. Show us, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.